Good afternoon, Packers fans. Aaron Negler here with your Packers Daily Chat, coming to you live on the Cheesehead TV social channels, where we do not keep you in the dark, especially not for four days. We try to talk Packers each and every day, Monday through Friday. Some weeks are better than others in that regard, but this week, Monday through Friday, talking green and gold. And this very particular day, this Tuesday, I wanted to talk about Eric Stokes who, interestingly enough, I've, it's funny, I just saw a couple Packers fans, when I put him as the kind of subject of this video, mentioned to me in my Twitter mentions, oh, I totally forgot about that guy, which is crazy to me, considering that he is a former first-round pick who had a really strong rookie year, and yes, definitely struggled through the first part of the 2022 season prior to being injured, uh, suffering multiple injuries, actually, on that horrible turf in Detroit, and then I guess kind of being out of sight, out of mind for some Packers fans in the back half of the year. The defense clearly had its turnaround later in the season, mostly post uh, bye week in week 13. So I'm not going to say, oh, obviously they, you know, Eric was out of the lineup and so they were much better off. I don't think that's true in any way, shape or form. But I do think you can go back and watch the first half of the season prior to his injury and see a guy who was struggling and a guy who maybe was struggling with what he was being asked to do. It's interesting to me that um, Jerry Gray, his departure, what uh, we saw from young Stokes throughout this season, very curious to see how a new voice in that room um, ends up maybe hopefully steering uh, what they're asking him to do and how often he's being asked to use his length, his physicality at the line of scrimmage. Um, Obviously, he's got tremendous makeup speed. His straight line speed is amazing. Uh, but we've seen plenty of times where it looks like a guy is past him or over him and he can make up ground in no time flat. There were certainly times when he struggled, especially early in the year with these deep over routes. Most of the time he was playing well off the line of scrimmage. Guys could get ahead of steam and then basically pass unimpeded into the secondary while Eric was behind him. I think that's going to change. I think there'll be a lot of talk this offseason about the scheme and what they're asking these corners to do. Wouldn't surprise me if we saw him kind of going between left and right a little bit more. I don't think he fits inside. So I don't think you can say, oh, we got to you know, put him at the star position or try to play him at the nickel. I don't think that's the best use of him. But it is going to be oh, it's tricky to get he and Rasul, who I think also is best suited for the outside, on the field together at the same time when you have Jair, who is clearly a premier guy, unless you maybe kick Jair inside. But all of that said, focusing on Stokes, he's always going to be targeted. Here's the thing. you got to remember, in his rookie year, when he did perform very well, and undoubtedly, uh, I think maybe not played beyond, beyond expectations or above expectations, but I do think he was asked to play a lot more than maybe the Packers were planning his rookie season because of the injury to Jair. And because of that, he was on the field a hell of a lot. He was going up against top flight competition. And like I said, he acquitted himself quite well. Now you go to 2022, Jair returns. Eric struggled. You know two ways about it. Was not the kind of confident, not even going to say lights out, but consistent player that we saw his rookie season. I think there's always going to be an element of he's going to get picked on. I remember during camp, uh, heading into like even the first couple weeks of the season, People kept saying, well, they're really going after Eric Stokes. They're really targeting Stokes. And I think that's always going to be the case for anybody playing opposite Jair Alexander. I mean, maybe this year, because Jair gave up a few more passes and 
completions than we're used to. Maybe teams want to start trying Jair a little bit more. Good luck with that. But I think, you know, whether it's Stokes, whether it's Douglas, whoever's playing opposite Jair is always going to see the bulk of the uh, quarterback's uh, arsenal, so to speak. The QB, offensive coordinators drawing up plays, trying to attack an area of the field, you're always going to go wherever Jair isn't. So I think that will give Eric Stokes plenty of opportunities to show his bounce back ability, show that promise and the athleticism and the upside that the Packers saw when they drafted him in the first round two years ago. And I do not doubt for a moment that we will see a much better output and more consistent play from Eric Stokes in 2023. Um, there, like I said, there's a lot to be answered here as far as scheme and what he's being asked to do, but there's way too much promise and we've seen it. That's the thing. If we had never seen Stokes playing at a high level against top flight competition, I would say, well, there's a long way to go. It's not a long way to go. We've seen him do it. He just needs to be consistent with it. And I think a lot of that is down to what he's being asked to do and drill work and repetition that will lead to consistency. I expect a big bounce back from the guy. And here's hoping the Packers uh, put him in a position to do so. Hello to everybody in the comments section. So good to see everybody. I am still blind as a bat, so I'm still going to be taking these on my phone. Thank you to everybody chiming in. So good to see everybody. Uh, starting with who we got. We got Ryan. Make sure I got the right one here. Ryan, thanks for the Super Chat. The Rodgers saga is worse than the Far saga because of social media. I wish Rodgers would decide what he wants to do so the Packers can move on. I understand that sentiment. The social media landscape definitely enhances the quote-unquote drama when it comes to the Rodgers decision. There's no question about it. Because social media gets us more engaged on a minute-by-minute basis, let alone hour-by-hour or day-by-day, we are constantly updating, constantly scrolling. But I will say, you can choose to engage or to not. I lead most of these chats with non-Rodgers topics, if you haven't noticed. Because as I said many weeks ago, when it was clear that Rogers' watch was on, that you can do it day by day, hour by hour, if you want. You are the consumer. You choose what you can consume. And yes, there is a ton of content out there about that, about Aaron Rodgers, about his decision, about what he's going to do, blah, blah, blah. But that's because there's an audience for it. You don't click, don't scroll, don't worry about it. When he makes his decision, then we'll move on. That is entirely up to you as a Packers fan. And trust me, I get it, man. I'm on Twitter every day. I consume all the content. I hear all the clips and I see what he's saying. And I get it. I understand that it's a lot. And you just wish he would either A, make a choice or B, shut up. But he, A, doesn't have to do either right now. B, he knows people want to hear what he has to say. Pat McAfee knows people know what he wants, hear what he wants to say, has to say, etc. So if you want to consume it, consume it. If you don't, don't. It's pretty simple on my end. Um, I get it. Like I said, I get it. But uh, you are in control here. Johnny, thank you for the super chat. Randall, Dix, King, JJ. Oh, my my chat jumped. Hold on. Oh, my goodness. Randall, Dix, King, JJ, Savage, and Stokes show flashes as rookies then seem to regress rather than develop. Could be an organizational problem. King, I'm trying to think of who you're talking about here. Dix, JJ, Savage, Stokes. Possibly, but there's a lot of levers there, right? A lot of different kind of combinations of things going on. I mean, could it be? Sure. But I've also seen plenty of people start to make a jump and then progress into 
you know, really good players. Rashawn Gary is somebody who leaps to mind as far as someone who's gradually gotten better each and every year. Um, I think you could make that case for some other players on the offensive side of the ball, offensive line in particular. Um, so I don't know, man. Uh, possibly. But if it, it feels like it would take a incredibly deep dive. And um, if you're going back to Clinton Dix, I mean, you're going back to Ted Thompson being GM. It's a long way away. And many coaching staffs ago. But I don't know. I'm not completely dismissing the idea. I think, you know, you're not, uh, not entirely you know, off base with the idea behind the question. Uh, John Simatovich, thank you for the super chat. Sorry for not being on the last few days. How dare you, John? I was in total darkness for four days. I've decided that I will continue carrying the G going forward. I see what you did there. I see what you did there. And look, I love that everyone like wants to uh, tweet about this and, and get their two cents in. But man, the guy's going to go on a four-day thing where he's in darkness and great. And there's an open door. And if he doesn't like it, he can leave. It's pretty cool. I, I think it's pretty dope. Um, but yeah, I don't know. It, he, he probably made ayahuasca super popular. He's probably going to make this retreat super popular. You know, he's a different guy. He's a complicated fella, as Mark and Ted have said. Vex, thanks for the super chat. This is for the Ouija board fund to help us understand 12. <laughs> What's to understand? He's a man who lives by his own credo and his own code. That's all you need to know. That's all you need to know. I love it. Sam Congato or Reggie Cobb? Is this even a question? Of course it's Sam Congato. Come on now. Friend of the show. I'm tired, Nags. Why are you tired? Come on. It's a beautiful day. Super Bowls this weekend. Packers uh going to be awesome in 2023. I don't know. I'm just making this up as I go. Uh, <laughs> I'll write in all caps until you get your new glasses. New York Cheese said that's greatly appreciated. Uh, really appreciate that. Mm-hmm. Our secondary sucked for the first three-fourths of the season. I don't think that's strictly true. I think there were certainly communication issues. I think uh, you could see uh, very problematic uh, instances throughout every game uh, through the first month of the season. But I think things improved as the year went on earlier than three-fourths. Um, but that's I the beholder stuff. I mean, you think it was three fourths? I dig it, man. I get it. They were certainly a turnaround there in week thirteen after the bye week. Um, a lot of that due to playing a lot more zone, having eyes on the quarterback, etc. But you know, I, I think I think that's awfully dismissive. I think those guys did a lot of good work through um, much more than just a fourth of the season. That's just me, though. I think the defense is a result of the lack of attitude they draft. Hmm. A lack of attitude. I'm not so sure attitude ever made a tackle. You know, Josh Jones had an attitude and he missed a ton of tackles. I don't know, man. I, I hear what you're saying. You want a little nasty, right? You want a guy who wants to hit somebody, wants to hurt somebody. I get it, man. But at the same time, I want somebody who's technically sound. I want somebody who breaks down in space and knows how to make a tackle and get somebody on the ground, not just throw a shoulder into them. You know, I understand the idea behind wanting attitude on defense. I truly do. But I also want a defense that makes stops and doesn't let things rupture. And what's crazy and what's fucking weird is that Joe Barry's defense did a lot of that in his first season as far as making stops and making tackles and 
doing a good job of not allowing kind of, you know, easy yardage. It was such night and day from Mike Pettin's last year plus in Green Bay that it was noticeable. They were so much more sound when it came to their tackling. And then you get to 2022, and that all really seemed to dissipate. And I'm not saying it disappeared completely because I still think there were some good instances where guys were technically sound and fundamentally sound and got guys on the ground. But there certainly were a lot more missed tackles this year. And I don't know what that's about. I don't know what you attribute it to. Same guy in charge, same staff for the most part. Uh, it's That's a conundrum. Because if you're the Packers and you're sitting there going, well, we did the same thing as with the same guys, yet we got worse at something we were really good at the first season, in, you know, altogether. You know, obviously the thing is to, well, we got to do something. Well, you want to make sure you do something to make it better. Just doing something to do something is probably a good way to make it worse. That's just guesswork on my part, obviously. Next, what did the Packers receive in draft capital for trading Favre? If I remember right, it was a third round pick from the Jets. And the only kind of stipulation with that was that they couldn't trade far back to the NFC North or they had to give up three first round picks or something like that. It was a old school uh, poison pill, which are no longer allowed. But yeah, I think the main compensation was a third round pick. If I'm remembering right, that's just off the top of my head. Someone with Google can check that for me. Not enough, Brandy. Yeah, probably true, bud. Packers defense has talent, damn it. I agree. And that's what makes the Barry thing so frustrating. It's I joked about it on Twitter today. You know, Packers fans watching all these exciting defensive coordinator hires. And the gif was you know, Don Draper bursting into tears because we know we have the talent. The talent is there. And yes, are they inconsistent at times? No question about it. But again, it comes back to my thing about Stokes. What are they being asked to do? When you re-sign Rasul Douglas, is the plan to play him at nickel? Because I think that's a poor plan. And this is my thing about the front office and the coaching staff. Are they on the same page? Because I don't think in any world does someone look at Rasul Douglas and go, that's a guy you want playing in nickel. That's a guy you want worrying about two-way goes. I just don't think that works. So I, that to me, that's what's frustrating, is that there's talent there. But how are they utilizing it? What are they being asked to do? Is it the scheme? I lean way more towards the scheme and what they're being asked to do within it than I do the individual players because I've seen them all play at a pretty damn high level. Now, do guys regress? Do guys play worse? No question. Uh, that happens every year in the NFL. I'm not dismissing that. But man, across the entire board, player by player, that suggests the coaching and the scheme. And that's what's frustrating. So, and look, the last two years, the Packers def defense played way better than the offense in their final game absolutely played well enough to win. And I think if you're Matt, that's what you're looking at and going, I know we can do it. That 49er playoff game in particular, that defense was awesome. Go to that Vikings game in Lambeau this year. That defense was awesome. How do they get that defense to show up every week? Or at least even play up to that level. Yeah, you're going to give up more points sometimes. The ball's going to bounce a different way sometimes. I get that. But just that level, that attitude, that intensity, it's something we've heard Matt talk a lot about. 11 hats to the football, flying around, making plays. You see that some weeks, and then some weeks, it's just an absolute clown show. Guys pointing and not knowing who's got who. It's like you know backyard football. And that's what got Savage benched after that Tennessee game, right? I, I just That's what's so frustrating, and that's, again, what comes down to the coaching and the clear disconnect with the talent that's on hand. 
You guys are going to get me going here. Oh, I got some super chats. Sorry. Uh, uh, Vex. Nice to super chat. Why did he we not bring back Andre Ryzen back in the day? Oh, because he was very much a stopgap. Um, you know, it was a band-aid situation. It wasn't about like a long-term signing. It was just, you know, uh Freeman went down, a bunch of people went down. I mean, they were they were down to throwing it to Don Beebe as their number one. And they were like, we gotta sign somebody. And Andre came in, played well. It's funny because everyone remembers the touchdown in the Super Bowl. He didn't do much prior to that. I mean, yeah, he had a touchdown. I believe it was the final game, regular season game of the year. But you know, he it wasn't like he was lights out. Uh, he definitely helped him, no question about it. I mean, they don't probably have that super, you know, that Super Bowl title without him, but um, it was never a long-term solution. No doubt about that. Uh, what else we got? Don Vito, thanks for the super chat. Oh, Aaron thinks darkness is his ally. Hashtag Jordan Love Season. Jordan was born in the dark, molded by it. Need a little uh, Packer man as Bane make another appearance. Need another defensive end on this defense. Omega Weapon 13, I hear what you're saying. I, I've been pegging defensive line as a major need pretty much this entire offseason. I'm really in interested to see how they play their group that they have on hand going forward. I suspect Dean Lowry probably isn't back. I think there's a good, I, good chance Jerron Reed isn't back. And that means, yeah, you've got to probably bring in some help along the D-line, whether it's at tackle or end just because of numbers, but I think they've got to control things up front, especially, especially, and I keep saying this, if they're going to insist on playing so much, you know, two-man line with that heavy nickel, they've got to be able to control. They've got to be able to take on double teams. They've got to be able to at least, at least, bare minimum, control the interior gaps. Because, I mean, obviously Philly's an outlier because their offensive line is amazing, but even you take that game away, and most teams knew that they could get them in that light look and then take advantage, especially in the run game. So, yeah, I, I'm with you. I think defensive end or tackle, but probably defensive end, makes a world of sense early in the draft, especially if they've got some you know, high-level athletic traits. I'm all for it. And I know Packers fans will be probably bored, be shouting at their TV, want a wide receiver, et cetera, but I'm 100% with you. Is Matt LaFleur too passive with his staff? Interesting question, Matt. I don't know. I don't think so. I mean, he's had some turnover these last few years, and it's not like he hasn't let guys go or fired them, whether it's Mike Pettin, which obviously was at the end of his contract, but I think both sides agreed it was time. Uh, firing Meninga, firing Mo Drayton. You know, it's not like he stood pat when things clearly needed to change. Has he held on to guys too long? Maybe. Joe Barry might be that guy. Uh, we'll see. But I think there's a case to be made for continuity. I think that's what he's striving for, especially coming off of last offseason where you saw some pretty significant overturn um, turnover where, uh, you know, some of that was because guys went and got other jobs. Nathaniel Hackett and Justin Outen going to Denver. Um you have to replace them, right? You got to get a new quarterbacks coach. You bring in Tom Clements. So there, there's been turnover. I just don't think you want to fall into the trap of every offseason. You got to have major changes. And I get that that's probably what Matt is thinking. And I said this a couple of weeks ago on Daily here, here on this channel. I, I think, you know, I get the idea that Matt doesn't want to completely overturn everything every couple of years. Like he wants his staff to stick together and improve together. And that's the idea behind keeping Joe Barry. 
Because again, you've seen it work. You've certainly seen instances where they've played really well under Joe. The problem is, is it's not near consistent enough. But how do you get that consistency? By just completely overhauling it every couple of years or by sticking it, you know, sticking that group and sticking with them and keeping them together and improving as a staff. And Matt clearly thinks they can improve from within as a staff. Now, we may not like it. We may not agree with it, but it's his team. He has purview over his staff, and that's the route he's taking, clearly, at this point. What else we got here? We got Travis Dale. Thanks for the Super Chat. I was watching an old video of Lombardi teaching the power sweep. He gets in way in-depth and pretty interesting. Would the power sweep work today? It has, in instances, I think part of it is you've seen it, and it's funny enough you say that. Um, the Eagles have run not a variation of the classic Lombardi sweep, but they've run some sweeps that have guys out in front, much like the Lombardi days. And you can do it. The problem is you need some high-level talent along your offensive line to get out on the edge against these super athletic inside backers uh, and safeties that are constantly kind of flying sideline to sideline, coming down. Um, these guys are so athletic. It's tough to make it work strictly as Lombardi did back in the day, simply because they just had both the schematic advantage and they had guys who can move like the wind along their offensive line. Now, the Packers have had some of those types, right? I mean, you watch David Bakhtiari and some of the stuff where they ask him to pull. It is so freaking fun to watch, especially when he gets out on the edge. But more often than not, you're going to be at a disadvantage against so many of these great interior defenders. And not even backers and safeties, but even some of these interior D linemen are insane with their athleticism in the year of our Lord 2023. I mean, you just watch these games and you see guys going inside out. Hell, look at Kenny Clark. Kenny runs guys down from the backside for like two-yard gains. I mean, that's insane. Lombardi wasn't have to worry, didn't have to worry about that. You know, so uh, there was a play in, I think it was the NFC Championship game, where one of the Eagles defensive linemen kind of ran down CM3 from behind, uh, wide side, right? Like not to his side, but the wide side like for a three-yard gain or something like that. Like, that just didn't happen at Lombardi's time. So I think the classic sweep, it'd be tough to make work simply because of the athleticism on the other side of the ball, but it's not like it's completely out of the playbook. It's not like it's not those style, that style of play isn't still happening. You need a, a little more, probably window dressing, et cetera, to get it to work these days. Uh, what else we got? Got that, got that. Bud's here saying 38-35 Eagles. I think it's going to be a fun game on Sunday. I will say it's been a bit of a lackluster postseason for the NFL this year. You know, wildcard round was good. Uh, divisional round really didn't deliver. And then the championship round, obviously, we had the thing with the 49ers and their quarterback. I thought it was hilarious watching the 49ers try to figure out how to play offense without a QB. Um, and I loved the – I thought the Bengals-Chiefs game was awesome. Super Bowl, I think, is going to be a really good game. I agree that the Eagles win. I think the Eagles are going to win, maybe not convincingly, but I think they're going to win by two scores unless, and I think the big thing we're going to hear about this week is the quarterbacks and the offenses and the coaches and all of that, all very worthwhile, all very worthy of coverage, and I'm not dismissing any of it. But I think it comes down to Kansas City's defensive line, especially Chris Jones, who is one of my favorite players in the league. He has to have the game of his life because so much of what the Eagles do on offense is obviously driven through that offensive line, which is probably the best in the league. You saw it against, I mean, the 49ers have an amazing defensive front. I mean, amazing. And Philly was able to run the ball on them, was able to get to the second level on them. 
maybe not with ease. I'm not saying they're like a knife through butter, but they were able to do it in a way that most teams haven't been able to do against San Francisco. I think Chris Jones has to absolutely blow stuff up and be a complete one-man wrecking crew uh, for the Chiefs to have a chance to kind of slow down this Eagles offense. Kelsey and company, that interior, they're so good. They do such a good job of that initial double team and then working to the second level. Jones has to blow all of that up. And I think he can. That's the crazy part. That's how good a player he is. So I think that, you know, more so than Pat Mahomes, who is amazing and all these weapons he's got and all that is is going to be fun to watch. I have zero doubt. But to me, it comes down to Chris Jones and that front for Kansas City being able to get, you know, the Eagles just knock them back a bit and blow things up and get them into some second and 12s and third and 13s or at least third and sevens plus, you know, get them into where they're not ahead of the sticks constantly. They're not able to dictate. You know, and I'm not saying it's going to be easy. I'm not going to say it's something they got to do every single play, but that's how I think Kansas City can win this game. They have got to be able to disrupt stuff, especially on early downs against Philadelphia, or I just think it's going to be the Philadelphia offensive line owning the day. That's my two cents on the Super Bowl this year. What else we got here, folks? What else we got? Uh, if Kansas City can get takeaways, I think they can pull it off. I mean, yeah, that that's always a big thing, right? We spend all week or even two weeks when it's the Super Bowl talking about matchups and who can do what and blah, blah, blah. And then someone takes like a kick return for a touchdown or there's a fumble return on a punt and uh, sets somebody up in the in the red zone for an easy score, etc. Those are things that you never see coming and they can absolutely 1 billion percent decide a football game, let alone a Super Bowl. We've seen it before. So yeah, could turnovers be a big key for the Chiefs in a path to victory? No question about it. I think Clearly, they're going to need a bounce or two to go their way, I would think. Um, but that's why we watch, right? That's why we love the NFL. All right, buddy, I'm going to have to get going. I can't thank you enough for hanging out, talking Packers each and every day, Monday through Friday, right here on the Cheesehead TV social channels. Please do me a monster favor. Hit like on the video, subscribe to the channel, and then tell your friends and tell your family, Cheesehead TV, we are devoted to Green Bay Packers fans worldwide. Carry the G Club members, Patreon members. I'll see you in happy hour, the top of the hour. Looking forward to it. Everybody else, have a great night. Thank you so much. Go Pack Go.